0: Seventeen verses of this book in chapter five, there are fifteen commands. And another couple of implied commands. And so these are imperatives. Paul just rapid fire. These are things that are important for the health of the church. And they're equally as important for us as they were for the Thessalonians. And so if you are able, I would like for you to stand as I read this, read this passage. I'm going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 28. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is God's Word. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You can be seated. So this morning we're going to focus on one single verse that I just read. And if you didn't look at the sermon outline in the bulletin, you might have a hard time guessing which verse we're going to look at. And we've got a lot of fascinating things to choose from, right? Uh, Much could be said about respecting those who labor among you, those that admonish you. Uh, Not returning evil for evil, that's always a relevant topic. Our flesh just yearns for revenge when someone has wronged us. Uh, Discussing how to pray without ceasing, that would be profitable. Uh, Paul's teaching on prophecy, it's so insightful, it's so concise, it's so wise, it's so sufficient. Uh, Someday, I would love to preach a sermon on greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay. That just sounds so weird to our Western ears, right? But there's something very precious and very choice about what Paul is saying there. One day, one day we'll do that. But today we're going to look at a verse that will be very easy to overlook because the people described in that verse are easy to overlook. It's verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so first I want all of us to understand this challenge, what Paul is saying to the church. What he says to the Thessalonians, he says to us. We all need to get it. And then I want to highlight a ministry here at Faith that specializes in helping those that are weak and encouraging those that are faint-hearted. And we want you to know about this ministry, when and if you need to take advantage of it, when you need its, its help, its encouragement. And we also want to encourage... Uh, 20, maybe 25 of you to join in this ministry. And we'll explain it at the end of the message today. <clears throat> but here we go. Paul says this. He says, when he says, we urge you, he's pleading with the Thessalonians to to take action. He's communicating a sense of urgency. And so instead of ignoring or merely, merely tolerating those that are idle, those that are fainthearted, those that are weak... He says, notice them and take appropriate action with each grouping of people. First, he says, admonish the idol. And the the root of the term translated idol is used only three other times in the New Testament, and all three times it's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And in that chapter, Paul is challenging those who were idle in the sense of they quit working. They weren't Earning a living, he challenged them to not be idle. He says, You've become busybodies. You just go around meddling in everybody else's business. And he repeats what he's already said in 1 Thessalonians when he says, We were with you when we were with you, we worked night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. So he points to himself as an example. I worked hard, you should also work hard. And it may be that that those who are idle those who refused to work, they had this reasoning. Their their reasoning was, you know, since Christ could return at any time, why should we squander the day by working? We should go and challenge people and urge people to be ready when Christ returns. That logic was not at all persuasive to Paul. Uh, In the Bible, work is not a curse. Uh, work is not a distraction. Uh, our work is, is an opportunity to glorify God, both through what we do and how we do it. We further the common good. We're we a witness, a testimony to those around us, and our work provides good works, and it provides the opportunity uh, for us to, to show what the Christian life looks like in everyday life. Back in First Thessalonians 4, Paul had written this, He said, "Uh, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Given that we don't know when Christ is going to return, okay, eventually somebody's going to guess and eventually somebody will be right, but so far everybody has been wrong. We're not told to, to try to f- guess and figure it out. Given that we don't know when Christ is returned, we should do our work faithfully unto the Lord, trusting that what we do and how we do it furthers God's purposes in this world. And so here in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul enlists the entire church. He says, admonish those who are idle. Uh, Give them this exhortation just like I did. He said, do that so that their testimony to outsiders won't be compromised and so that people won't be unnecessarily dependent on others. Sometimes people cannot work. Sometimes people fall on hard times. There are many times when people need the help of others financially, but he's warning against being unnecessarily dependent on others. And then he says, encourage the faint-hearted. The term faint-hearted is found only here in the New Testament, and it could literally be translated uh, those that are small-hearted, or those that are small in soul. And so instead of being confident and, and strong and having this big heart and you're able to do things that, uh, that, that God has called you to do, this is the person who is losing heart. This is the person who is discouraged. And so instead of being confident and strong, this person finds it hard to move forward in faith. And if we're honest, every single one of us would say there are times in our lives when we... Are faint-hearted when we're we're tempted to to lose heart, and uh, I know for myself when I thought about back about it this week, there have been times when I have been faint-hearted as a follower of Christ. I've thought, can I really move forward in my walk with God? There have been many times when I've been faint-hearted as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, and uh, I don't like being faint-hearted. Okay. I like being confident. I like being strong. I like helping others who are faint-hearted. And when I find myself in that condition, I'm pretty good at covering it up. I'm pretty good at hiding, okay? But I can tell you, when I'm faint-hearted, I don't need somebody to put their finger in my face and to give me a stern warning. I need somebody to come alongside me. Generally speaking, tell me things I already know things that they believe from the heart and give me the courage to do what God has called me to do. And so very wisely, Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted. And the term he uses for encourage, it's not his most common term for encourage, but it's a term he had used earlier in chapter 2 when he reminded the Thessalonians. He says, when I was with you, I was exhorting and encouraging you and imploring you as a father would his own children. Paul was like a good father. He noticed the condition of people around him. And when they were discouraged, he encouraged them. The term is sometimes translated console, as in John 11. uh, Mary and Martha's friends consoled them when when their brother Lazarus had died. And so Paul wants those who are doing well to come alongside those who are faint-hearted and to give them courage. And it may be that Paul has in mind the people that Brian talked about last week, uh, the people who were troubled about the second coming of Christ. There seemed to be all this confusion about the return of Christ. There were some that thought, well, if a believer has died before Christ returns, it looks like they're going to miss the resurrection. And Paul explained to them, no, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Actually, the dead in Christ will rise first. And so that would be the type of encouragement they needed. But you and I both know people who are faint-hearted, either uh, right now or they're they're at some time in their life. And perhaps at one time they had this this great courage and they were strong in heart, but now they aren't so sure that they're going to make it. And you know people like this, and it can be for all sorts of different reasons. And sometimes it's, it's people that have experienced uh, incredible loss, uh, the death of people very close to them. Sometimes it's a loss of a relationship. And people find themselves thinking, you know, I, I really don't know if I can take one more blow. I don't, t- I don't know if I can take one more hit, if I can keep walking with God through this. Sometimes it's a a besetting sin or an addiction that will, will make somebody lose heart. And people wonder, can I even walk with God? Is it even possible for me to be obedient? It just seems like the Christian life doesn't work for me. Or sometimes it's just people get beat up by this world. I mean, there's so much evil in the world. And it looks like the enemies of God get the upper hand time after time after time. And it's possible to lose heart and start wondering, does it even matter? Honestly, is, does it even matter whether or not we walk with God and seek him and represent him in this world? And so does anybody come to mind for you, somebody that is losing heart? Does anybody come to mind? Uh, no doubt some of you are thinking, that's me. I am the one who is losing heart. I'm, I'm faint-hearted. And I want to say two things in in relation to this. Number one, I want you to consider the possibility that God wants to use you to give somebody else courage. I'm not saying in a vague way this is possible. I want you to consider the possibility that God wants to use you in the life of the person that came to mind to bring them courage. If not you, who's going to do it? Uh, we need to take responsibility in the body of christ, and paul doesn 't say how we encourage people, and it happens in a lot of different ways and how you encourage somebody will depend on your your history, your experience, your spiritual insight, your giftedness, your availability if you 've got ten minutes, it will look different than if you 've got three days to spend with somebody or to give to somebody. But the the core of it, you need to pay attention to that person's life and ask the question, how can I bring courage to this person? One of my favorite verses is is, uh, Ephesians 4.29, and Paul talks about speaking only those words that build other people up, speak those words that meet the need of the moment so that you may give grace to those who hear. It's a very demanding thing to actually discern the need of the moment in somebody else's life. And honestly, very few people do that. Very few people. Most people just say whatever comes to their mind. But Paul is talking here about paying attention to somebody's life, discerning what the need of the moment is, and then addressing it. And so I want you to consider the possibility that God himself wants to use you to bring courage to somebody who is faint-hearted. The second thing I would say is if you are the one who is faint hearted, if you are losing heart, you need to understand that it is the will of God for you to receive what others in the body of Christ can bring to you. Okay? It is the will of God. You were never intended to suck it up and be strong on your own, independent of other people. And, and you may be a very private person and the idea of letting somebody else know what's really going on in your life, that may, may just terrify you. Or you may be a very competent person in most areas of your life or you may have great spiritual wisdom and insight. And so all of those things may be true but, but you need to, you need others in the body of Christ and what they can bring to you. It may be, I don't know, but it may be that one of the reasons why your walk with God is not what it should be is because you're resisting what God wants to do through others in the body of Christ. And so this is foundational. People need, those that are strong need to encourage those that, that are faint-hearted. Those that are faint-hearted need to receive that encouragement. Next, Paul says... Help the weak. And he's referring to those who are weak spiritually, those whose faith is not strong. And as with the faint hearted, Paul has a very specific, very specific challenge for the rest of the church. He says, Help the weak. And so. Uh, The term help is sometimes translated cling to, sometimes it's translated be devoted to someone or something. And that's exactly what the spiritually weak need. They don't need a cliche and a wave, good luck, or hope it works out. They need somebody to cling to them, to be devoted to them, and help them in very tangible ways. And so uh, that's what Paul is challenging here. They don't primarily need words. They need people who are devoted to them. And so the greatest thing that you can bring to someone who is weak in faith is yourself and your walk with God. And this is another reason why it really matters whether or not you walk with Christ. If you're going to be a functioning vital member of the body of Christ, you have to walk with God so you have something to bring to others. As is often said, you cannot give away something that you don't possess, Some of you may know the name Kent Hughes. Uh, Kent Hughes was a pastor in the Chicago area, and uh, in the the 80s, he was pastoring a church that was not doing well. It was kind of spiraling down, and he progressively got more discouraged and more cynical, and eventually came to this crisis of faith. And one night, this is what he announced to his wife. He said, God has called me to do something he hasn't given me the gifts to accomplish. Therefore... God is not good. And people sometimes get to that point, whether they're pastor or they're called to something else, but they say, God called me to this, but he didn't give me everything I needed. He didn't provide for me. And they come to this terrifying conclusion that God is not good. Even though the Bible says it over and over relentlessly, people conclude God is not good. And this is what he writes. He says, there, I finally, I had, Finally, I had blurted out the thought that had tormented me. It fell between us, between him and his wife, ugly and misshapen, into the silence of the hot night. I knew I had been called by God. I had never been able to escape that call, nor had I wanted to. But now I felt that I was the butt of a cruel joke. I was a failure. I wanted to quit. And in aching desperation, I said to my dear wife, what am I to do? He says, I will never forget her kind and confident response. And this is, what she, this is how she responded. She said, I don't know what you're going to do, but for right now, for tonight, hang on to my faith because I believe. I believe that God is good. I believe that he loves us and is going to work through this experience. So hang on to my faith. I have enough for both of us. And Ken Hughes did. He hung on to her faith long enough until he could recover from being so faint-hearted and so tenuous in his faith. These stories don't always have happy endings, but that's what Paul is challenging us to do. Come alongside those who are faint-hearted and encourage them. Give them the courage they need to keep going. The one who is weak needs the help of the one who is strong. Next, Paul says, and he, he concludes with this very wisely. He said, be patient with them all. And some of you are very naturally patient. I mean, you just, you just don't get angry or irritated at anything. At people that are lazy, people that are weak, people that are, that are faint hearted, people that are immature. You just have this, this ability to just kind of roll with the punches. Others of you, not so much. You get agitated, you get irritated. Why don't these people get their act together? I'm doing the work. I'm walking with God, why don't they do it? Why don't they get in gear and do what they're supposed to do? We don't say that, but we we can think that sometimes. That's why Paul says, be patient with all of them. This is to the whole church, be patient. And uh, the old school word for patient, some of you remember, was long suffering. If you're patient, you will suffer a long time before you blow up. I mean, you, you have a long fuse. You don't have a short fuse. And of course, our patience is meant to be an echo, an imitation of God's patient because God is slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. Honestly, where would you and I be if God had a short fuse? Seriously, where would we be if God had a short fuse? And so we're to be patient. We're we're to to suffer along with others. And so the challenges in this verse are for the entire church. And so all of us are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all of them. This is a foundational ministry in the church. And so like Paul exhorted the Thessalonians, I would exhort you, I would implore you, would you notice the people around you? You don't have to notice everybody, but the people closest to you. If everybody here noticed five or six or seven other people, and you did what Paul said, you encouraged the faint-hearted, if you help the weak, then the body of Christ will receive what it what it needs. If you and I are oblivious to the people around us who are weak and faint-hearted, people will suffer alone unnecessarily. And I would implore you: if you are the weak, if you are the faint-hearted, would you please receive what others in the body of Christ can bring to you? Will you understand that this is not a fatal flaw? This is God's design for the church, that we receive what others bring us, the encouragement, the tangible help that others can bring to us. And so this is for the entire church. In addition to this ministry that belongs to each of us, not instead of, but in addition there is a team of people here at Faith that specializes in this ministry I've been talking about. And it's the most amazing thing. And some of you are probably thinking, who would do that? Who would give themselves heart and soul hours every week to encourage and strengthen and help those that are weak and faint-hearted? Well, it's, it's the Stephen ministry. And uh, most of you have probably heard of it. But we have about 16 Stephen ministers who are trained and they are ready to come alongside those who are faint-hearted and those who are weak. And typically they when somebody like if you requested help you said I'm faint-hearted, I'm weak, I need somebody to come alongside me. Your Stephen minister would meet with you generally weekly for an hour as long as you need. It may be for a few months. It could be for a year or longer. And Stephen Ministers are not therapists, they're not counselors, but they are people that are full of compassion and they are trained to come alongside people in helpful ways. I want to read the comments of a couple of our current Stephen Ministers. I asked them to share, why did you commit yourself to this ministry? One person wrote this. She says, I got involved in Stephen Ministry because I wanted to become a better listener and I wanted to be able to engage with people in meaningful and thought-provoking ways and then I thought this was interesting she said I also have felt a need to have someone listen to me at times and didn't know where to turn and so part of her motivation was I find myself in a place of need and I didn't have a place to turn I don't want that to happen to other people so I'm going to put myself in a position where I can be available when others need some place to turn Here's what another person wrote. I wanted to become a Stephen minister because I had been through a long, hard season that I was unable to get out of on my own, and I so greatly valued those that came alongside me during that time. It allowed me to experience God in a way I never had before. I was able to accept that what God says about his compassion and caring nature was true Why? Because I had seen it lived out and displayed toward me through another person. It was truly the most valuable gift I have ever received, and I wanted to be able to give that gift to others. And so, again, I think it's an amazing thing that we have a team of people that want to come alongside you. We want you to know about this when and if you find yourself in need of help. If you want somebody to come alongside you, let us know, and if possible, our our, our leadership team will pair you with somebody—a guy with a guy and a girl with a girl—to to just walk with you through the tough times, to encourage you, to help you in your weakness. And right now, we we only have two or three Stephen ministers that are not paired, and uh, which leads me to my my other appeal, my invitation. Uh, we would like for some of you to consider the possibility of devoting yourself to this this ministry. And it's a serious commitment to become a Stephen minister, but we feel like it's worth it. And the next round of training will begin in January. We offer this training every two years, so we're on a two-year cycle. And it's a serious commitment uh, you'll, you'll put in an application this fall, and if accepted, beginning in January, you'll get 50 hours of training between January and May. And then afterward, you would be paired with someone who has requested to Stephen minister, and you would meet regularly with that person. But you're not just left on your own. You're part of a supervisory group where you meet with four or five other Stephen ministers, uh, as well as somebody from our leadership team for coaching, for input, for encouragement for you, and it's all confidential. So you won't share names, you don't share, you know, uh, details that would identify a person. And so we highly value confidentiality in all of this, but you have this team around you. And so if this stirs anything within you, I want to invite you, and I'll just appeal to you, don't ignore that, maybe check out what we have to offer. I want you to turn your attention to the screen. We're going to to have several of our current Stephen ministers have expressed, articulated what the training, what the whole experience has meant to them. And uh, I think you'll find it helpful. A couple comments about the terminology uh, that you'll hear. The Stephen minister is the care provider. And the person he or she is paired with, that's the care receiver. And the supervision group, that's the, the other Stephen Ministers and the, the leadership person who meets together for uh, input and for support. There you go. I think that probably the most valuable thing about the Stephen Ministry training was the fact that the information we were taught was so doggone valuable, um, and it was so practical, Uh, The training did not just prepare me to be a minister in terms of Stephen Ministry, but it helped me uh, in knowing how to have real, grown-up, Christ-centered relationships with everyone in my life. Um, It made me a better mom, a better friend, a better daughter, a better sister, a better coworker, just everything. The Stephen's Ministry team has been lots of fun. It's like Life Group with a definite purpose. It has all the benefits of fellowship and encouragement, plus you're learning how to do something that's very important. Your supervision group becomes like a family to you. They will still make mistakes and say the wrong things sometimes, but your group will provide unconditional love and support for you and your care receiver in a confidential Mm -hmm. manner. Because my goal is not to fix my care receiver, it frees me to love her. You are not alone as a Stephen minister. The supervision group has helped to keep me focused and aware of each step along the way. Stephen Ministry is some of the most rewarding work I've experienced in the church. It is a wonder to be the conduit of God's love and care for all his people. I've always been, um, I can do it, fix it, figure it out kind of person, wrong. God is teaching me that um, I need to depend totally upon him bring relief from the troubles and heartache that my care receiver is experiencing. I feel like I know Jesus more intimately as I seek to do his work because he shows up. So again if anything within you is stirred to just check this out. We're going to have an informational meeting uh, tonight at 6 p.m. and an identical one next Sunday night at 6 p.m. You don't need to come to both, come one or the other. And uh, we've got a, got a box on the back of the connection card where you can just register an interest in attending this meeting. It doesn't commit you to anything, but we would love for some of you to come and, and check it out. If neither of those dates works for you uh, at all, Uh, Check the box at the very bottom about becoming a Stephen minister. Somebody will be in touch with you. Other arrangements can be made. But it's our desire through the Stephen ministry and just through our, our, our normal relationships here at Faith for people to get the help that they need. And God's designed the body of Christ so wisely that he provides for it when we follow him in these things. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would lead us as a a church. We pray, God, that those that need help would receive it. We pray it would be just part of our everyday life together, that we would notice each other and notice the needs around us and and trust you your spirit to meet those needs. And We pray as well, God, that the Stephen ministry here at Faith would thrive and that that it would be everything you desire and that people would find uh, just incredible help uh, day in and day out. And so, God, we put these things in your hands. We, lead you to, uh, we, we uh, invite you to lead us. And, God, as we give tithes and offerings, we do so as an expression of our love for you. Use them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.